So. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, wait. This is not uncomfortable, but it's very weird. This is the thing? This is the one. Absolutely. And now it almost couldn't have happened in a better way. Where did you want to be? So it was just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> am I funny? Now if I go over here, am I still funny? Better strategy. Yeah, a way better strategy. I never thought about that. Yeah, it's a work. I don't see it five years from now that you're not my most famous friend. You really have to commit to something. Good to have some appreciation. That's cool. That was really cool. Yeah, it might have been cool. This is On the Cusp. Hello, and welcome to On the Cusp. I'm Ben Green, and today my guest is Mono Agapian. He is a great improviser on the UCB house team Winslow. He is the creator of the Grinder Diary, and he is not to be confused with Manny Hagopian, who is a different person. Before we launch into Mono, I wanted to let you know that On the Cusp is now available on iTunes and on the Stitcher Radio app. So those are a couple of easy places that you can stream the show from or download if that makes your listening experience easier. This episode is sponsored by Thai Pepper at 6219 Franklin Avenue. Now featuring extra napkins to anyone who mentions promo code on the cusp. Thai Pepper. It's the little bit of spice that's missing from your life. It's Thai Pepper. So Mono Agapian is another person who I went to school at UNC Chapel Hill with and who I've known for a really long time because of that. One of the things Mono talks about in this episode is how hard his first year in L.A. was and how he wondered a lot of the time whether he was delusional uh, to think that he had any chance of making it out here. This got me thinking about whether there was any time in my first year out of college when I was feeling delusional. Um, And I don't think there was. I think that most of the time I had a pretty firm belief that I was going to make it in the end. Um, But... Looking back, I think there were actually times that I did act in a delusional way. Um, And I think the best example of that was uh, when I graduated from UNC, uh, I spent the summer in New York. And one of the ways that I was sure that I could make money was by uh, putting it out there that I was ready to coach improv uh, for any New Yorkers who might want to coach. to give some idea of how delusional I was at this point, um, what I thought my credentials were were that I had uh, taken up through 201 at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in New York. Um, I had coached my college improv team's uh, training program um, and that I had coached some college improv groups. This made me feel like uh, if you were um, somebody at UCB who wanted a good coach, uh, I, I might be your man. You can actually find a post um, on the Improv Resource Center message board where I uh, say that I am ready for coaching. Um, the subject is Fresh Face Ben Green Needs to Coach Your Team. It's dated June 4th, 2009, and this is the message. Pros. I have four years improv experience, have coached the CHIPS UNC's premier improv team training program for a solid year, and the killer two-person team El Congrejo y El Caniche for several months. I've done workshops with people like blah, 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 and Kevin Patrick Robbins, among many others, and have taken classes with the likes of Curtis Gwynn, Ari Vukitis, and Kyle Corpening, who was... uh, just a friend of mine from college who also coached improv. Uh, cons, I look like I'm 15 tops. So if you're interested in being coached by an unjaded yet experienced coach who just can't wait to see what puberty's like, that's what I guess a joke was that I was making about how young I was. I, so I was somewhat self-aware uh, that I was inexperienced to be coaching, but I do also say that I'm experienced, um, email me at my email address or PM me on this site. Thanks. And then the tags for the message are baby, coach, experienced, and young. So a good number of jokes, but also a very earnest attempt uh, to try to get people to actually take me on as their coach as a 22-year-old freshly out of college. Looking back at this message makes me cringe. But I think it's also a fun artifact, and looking at it, uh, 
it's really easy for me to see how far I've come since I wrote that back in 2009. Since then, I took 301 and 401 and a couple advanced classes at UCB, um, auditioned for Herald teams four times and never made it, um, and only made it onto a UCB team, on, onto my mod team in uh, 2013, five years after I wrote the message initially. Um, and I've now been on that team for almost two years. Uh, and at this point, uh, I've come out to the point where now I don't feel really ready to coach. Um, I think what's changed is I've come to know how much I don't know. And that's a great lesson to learn after you've been doing something for a little while. I'm sure I'm still doing things today that are delusional, uh, but I won't find out what they are until five years from now. And then I will record a follow-up post uh, saying what those things were. So now, here's my interview with someone who I can say for a fact is not delusional. Uh, my old friend and a guy who I always love spending time with, Mano Agapian. Yeah. Do you remember meeting for the first time in Chapel Hill? Or not really? Vaguely. Uh, I knew you when you were in Wojciech. Oh my god. Is, am I that, saying right? I say Wojciech. Whatever, Wojciech. Yeah. Wojciech. 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 Anyway, that play is the reason I'm doing comedy now. <laughs> I it swear turned to god. Off. Yeah. Um, first of all, I, I auditioned I kind of on a whim. And then somehow got the lead, which I did not deserve. I just wasn't, and I, I don't know if even to this day how good of an actor I am. Um, but I just was like, okay, wow, let's take this on. Let's take this on. But I will admit the experience of preparing for this play was very, very overwhelming. And in, if you don't know what the play is, to anyone who doesn't know what the play is, but uh, it's a German surrealist play from a playwright named Georg Buchner from like the 1800s who wrote this crazy play about how this man loses his mind and he believes the sky is on fire and in order to save his wife like from Satan he kills her to like cleanse her soul so I had to somehow like get in get into that <laughs> and it was really hard because, like, the play is staccato and weird and German. And after that, I was like, I need a break. I need a break. Maybe I'll go take an improv class at DSI. Great. Yeah. So you were born in some area of North Carolina? Is that true? Yes. I was born in Greensboro, North Carolina. And I lived there my whole life. I lived... Um, in a pretty good neighborhood, and like my p family never moved. My parents still live in the same house I grew up in. Um, and yeah, um, I like it there. It's like, it's a bit, it's a, you know, it's, it's North Carolina, so it's like, I feel like just like most, most places in North Carolina is struggling between its like conservatism and liberalism. Cause there's moments where I'm like, oh, this is a real open-minded city. And there's moments where I'm like, wow, this is a very close-minded southern red state city. Um, but I liked it. I still like it. <laughs> it's, it's a nice escape because it, like, like, it feels like such an escape from like uh, maybe like big, a big overwhelming cities. <laughs> what was your family like? These were Greek people? They were Greek people, yes. Um, I like the way you said that. Like you were a curator of a museum. <laughs> um, yeah, my family is all Greek, and I definitely grew up in a very traditional Greek American family. And yeah, they're nuts, um, but they're you know really sweet too. You know, those all those stereotypes are true. Um, I had my mom is a big, big mama bear, and she is sort of um, she's sort of a person who loves. Let's see, what, how do I put this? She's a person who, like, lives to host. 
So, like, she... And she's the oldest of her siblings. So, my house was always, like, a central hub for my uh, immediate and extended family. So, like, siblings and their children and their um, significant others, as well as just people we tangentially knew, were always just populating my home. Like, my home was always filled with people I knew or didn't know. Um, so I definitely came from a house that was more, more noise than quiet. <laughs> I've heard you do impressions of your mom in the past. Yes. Can you, like, what does she kind of sound like? Or, like, what is a typical thing she might say? My mom. Wow. My mom is a diva. She's, I like to describe her kind of like, she's like, she loves and hates everything. <laughs> and very few in between. Um, she kind of sounds, let's see, she kind of sounds like this. Like, anytime, if she's in a good mood, she kind of sounds like this. Oh, <laughs> hi, Manoli. I love you. It's your mother. <laughs> um, but if she's in a bad mood, she kind of becomes an old Hollywood diva. And she kind of sounds like this. Mano, it's your mother. Why haven't you called me back? <laughs> um, so you kind of never know what version of her you're going to get. Uh, and do you do any kind of uh, impression of your dad? Or oh, yeah. My dad's home? a sweetheart. My dad's like the quietest, sweetest man. <laughs> and I, um, I, I think the best way to describe him is I think of the time when I came out to him sort of incidentally. And because he's a man of very few words. And when I came out to him, this is everything he said. He's like, Mono, uh, I just want to let you know that we love you. <laughs> and we don't care what you do sexually. Okay, here's your mom. <laughs> that was it. That was all was of it. Was it over the phone? Over the phone. Okay. Over the phone. Um, it was just great. It was like, yeah, my dad's the kind of guy who just doesn't talk if he doesn't have to. Uh, but he's very, very easy to be around. And what did your parents do for a living? Um, my mom is, my mom is, is a straight up Greek, uh, house, housewife, house mom, cooker, cleaner, does it all. She, she really keeps, uh, locks the home down. Um, and my dad, um, is an attorney as well as a real estate, um, manager and owner. Yeah. So he does a lot of real estate stuff. Did you ever get to, like, come along on any of his real estate things growing yes. up? And- yeah, he he has a business that's, like, located out of Greensboro. And when I was a young teenager, I kind of had to start working for him. Um, and it's so, I mean, I, I definitely at first it was begrudgingly. Um, but it was such a great experience. And quite honestly, I was very spoiled. So, like, it was totally easy even though I made a fuss of it. Like, it was totally easy. Like, um, but I, would, I was kind of um, a young teenage secretary. So I would answer phones. I would create for rent signs. I would file receipts in our computer system because my dad was boggled by it. Um, but I just did little things around the office. So, yeah, from an early age, uh, or as early as is legal without, you know, breaking state law, he had me come to the office, especially during the summers when I was like started around when I was 13 and then like as and then all the way up until I left Greensboro for Chapel Hill. That's really cool. And how did your parents meet originally? Um, it's a funny question because um, my parents sort of had an arranged marriage. So they sort of met a few days before the day of their wedding. That's crazy. It is crazy. It definitely is crazy. Um, And my understanding is that they met and then their families thought it was for the best that they get married. So they did. Um, And I think at first, you know, it was definitely something that was rocky. It was totally, it was rocky and weird because... Who wants to marry someone they don't know well? Um, but so, you know, as years as the years have gone on, though, like they've become really good friends. They are. It is the funniest thing because they are like not. They're not romantic, um, but that's never something that like they hid from us. 
they they were just very forthcoming with like this is the situation we love you we stayed together because we love you and um so just from from an early age you kind of knew that they were not romantically together um but now they're like totally cool friends and like partners i would say they're partners and like a very in the like most um genuine uh way you know what i mean that's very cool it sounds kind of filler on the roofy yes Uh uh-huh it is (laughs) it really is is this Um, very common in greece to be arranged married i don't think so not no not really so then why do you think it happened for your parents I'm not 100% sure. I think um, my mom was the daughter of a Greek priest. And maybe that had an influence on, like, maybe my grandfather felt the need to really take care of his daughter. Or maybe even from, like, a public point of view, like, make sure she's married to a proper man. (laughs) I don't know, though, um, because, uh, but uh, it's definitely something my family ha- does not believe in or endorse. It just happened so long ago, and now my family is like, I guess they've made, made the most of it. It's really cool that they've come to this partnership. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, how many children do they have? Four. There's four of us. And what's your relationship with, like with your siblings? Yeah, it's great. I'm the youngest. Because, um, let's see, my sister... I Are you have... referred to as Baby Mono? Or... Yeah. <laughs> Whittle Baby Mono. Uh, Are you yeah. just yes-anding me, or that's an actual thing? No, I, I mean, I definitely get treated like the youngest. I definitely get treated like a baby. Um, which is cool. <laughs> which is very cool. They're very sweet to me. And, like, as I've gotten older and less spoiled, I've become more their, more their contemporary... But there will always, like, there will always be a part of my family that just, like, treats me like the baby because I, I think they don't know any, any other way and I don't think I know any other way. Um, but it's, it's sweet, you know, they, like, we just take care of each other and, um, yeah, my siblings are the best. They're really cool. And we have, like, a very, very, yeah, just a good connection with each other and I think we're all very different people. Did they ever beat you up when you were a kid, or they were always very sweet to you? No, my sisters were great, but me and my brother fought, for sure. Like, yeah, me and my brother, like, like fucked each other up. <laughs> like, I have a patch in the back of my head where hair doesn't grow. Oh my god! Because he pushed me into a fireplace. And he, I one time threw a building block at his mouth. And, like, chipped one of his teeth, which he then choked on. Uh, <laughs> so we, we, we've definitely, in our younger days, we, like, fought. And I don't know, but now we're, we're totally good. Yeah, this sounds like we're kind of fighting to the death. Yeah, it was, it was pretty intense. I, I mean, even just thinking about it now, I can't believe... I don't really consider myself a violent person, but... I, I don't either. Thanks. Uh, but back then, we were nuts. We were just very different. Very, very, very different. Um, Yeah, and I think we just did not... We did not understand each other for, like, the longest time because he is, like... He is such a masculine alpha male. And I am such the opposite. (laughs) And so, like, for the longest time, we just didn't fundamentally understand one another. And then finally, we got old enough to be like, oh... I'm me, you're you, it's fine, <laughs> you know, like, it's cool. That's good. Is there a moment from your childhood that you feel like embodies who you were to you, like a specific memory or anything like that? Yeah, there was this moment from my childhood where, like, um, in fifth grade, I, against all odds, won the geography B. <laughs> and, like, it sounds so silly, but, like, no one expected me to win. I remember I went up against this very smart kid. His name was Riley Blyton. Um, God, I hope I can find him. But, like, his name was Riley Blyton, and he was just, like, the smart kid in, in uh, maybe in our academically gifted class. So, I mean, everyone was, like, and I was, I was in there hanging by a thread. I think I took the academically gifted test, like, th- two or three times. 
So I think when I when I got in and then when we finally have this geography B, I was not, no way anyone thought I would win or even, anyone was even And why not? Why me. do you think people like didn't expect that much of you? I was very weird kid. I was a very weird kid and I think only a few other weird kids liked me. Cause I think generally, I mean, I'm, I can, I'm trying to, I'm trying to see myself outside of myself, which is impossible, but like I was fat, I was gay and I was also like foreign because I came from a Greek American family and like there weren't any other Greek American kids in my school or really any other kids who came from similarly ethnic American backgrounds. Kids were more like North Carolina grown. Yeah. More traditionally, I guess, American families. There was white kids, there was black kids. Um, that's, that's, that's what is, I'm thinking was the majority of people um, in my school. Um, and some, I was friends with some people, but just like, there just wasn't a lot of people who like got where I was coming from. So yeah, that made and it at that point, hard. Uh, they had those things in mind for what you were, but not necessarily like really smart. Yeah, no, I don't know. Yeah, and I could it could have just been a confidence thing, um, but somehow I won that, and I remember I don't know if he he I mean whatever um, I hope he's alive, uh, but <laughs> Riley Blyton, after I won, like hugged me. And, and then whispered in my ear, uh, good luck sleeping tonight, like threatened me <laughs> because he was, I don't know what it meant. I think he was just like trying to say something cool. But like in that moment, I was like, oh my God, I, I, I want a thing that uh, I, I, I don't think anyone thought I could win. Um, I would like to think that was a pivotal, that was a very me moment. That's really cool. I would, I would hope. Can- Congratulations. Thank you. I um I thank you. Did you know that Lake Victoria is the biggest body of water uh in Africa? I didn't know that. Yeah. Are you a geography whiz today? No, but I think that was the winning question. Like <laughs> I think so. I was like, ah. Oh. You're um, you're my phone a friend if Lake Victoria ever comes up. Okay, great. I knew a lot then. On the Meredith Vieira version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. <laughs> She's so fun. <laughs> Um, how did the process of you realizing you were gay and, uh, dealing with it, uh, come to pass? Yeah. Well, it was definitely a long, a longer process. I mean, this is like, this is a long time. Cause I think I knew something was weird, but like the level of denial I was experiencing was very thick. And, uh, so like at a young age in middle school, I was like looking at men in underwear, like in cool catalogs and stuff. At what age you said? Um, I bet I was 11 and 12 middle school times. My mom, (laughs) my mom, my mom is a diva and she loves like stilettos. So she would order stilettos from this catalog called Fredericks of Hollywood. Um, and Fredericks of Hollywood, it had some, also some very scandalous undergarments in it, but it also had a men's section. And the men's section had some hot, hot men wearing almost nothing, wearing these like crazy thongs and cool underwear. And that was the moment where I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) Like I was blown away, but I didn't connect the dots that like me being obsessed with them equaled gay. I understand that. Yeah, I didn't connect the dots yet, but like I really liked it. I clearly was looking at it any chance I could, like sneaking into my mom's bathroom to like try to find a catalog somewhere. And uh, eventually, um, but then eventually I was just like, as time went on and as that was the only thing I wanted to look at, because sometimes I would like kind of trick myself by like looking at the lady, the ladies in the front, but then kind of getting to the men as soon as possible. I'd be like, yeah, I like both. Um, but then I just kind of faced it. I was like, I'm gay. <laughs> and at first I felt so cursed. I literally felt cursed. Like, oh man, I got this thing. Cause at the time, like it wasn't uncommon for like in the news and TV for gayness to be spoken of very negatively. 
Like, and even in my home, like, no one was committing hate crimes, but they they were kind... I mean, people were just saying, like, oh, man. My mom would say, oh, God, if one of my... If one, if one of my sons turned out to be gay, I would kill myself. My mom said that. That might be the worst thing you could possibly say. It was cartoonishly <laughs> the worst thing you could possibly say. It will literally kill me. So I uh, didn't come out to her for a while. Um, and then... Um, I'm sorry that happened. Yeah, no, it's okay. Because if you know her, you know she's just kind of a Susan Lucci type. She's just a woman living in her own drama. But <laughs> what those words would do to you? Yeah, they definitely made me shell up. I was like, okay, I'll just never admit it. I'll just never, ever, ever, ever say do it. Do you have this idea in your head of like a lifelong coping of like, I'll just be in, I'll hide this forever. Yeah. And it, 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 just, it just kind of eventually morphed. Because at first I was like, okay, cool. I'll just never tell anyone and never act on it. And then, like, let's say a year passed. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. I'll just never... I'll do it, but I won't tell a soul. And then a year passed. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna move away. And then I'm gonna do gay stuff there. But that's where I'll do it, and those people will know. And then, eventually, you're just like, fuck this. I want to live my life. I want to have some quality of life. And, I mean, luckily, the older you get, the less you care. In a good way, because you're just like, this isn't important. Being gay should not be a real problem. Um, but, you know, it's funny, by the time I was, let's say, it did take a long time, though, because, I mean, we weren't, we just didn't talk about it. They were asking about girlfriends, and I was like, no, none yet. <laughs> please, please perceive what this means. <laughs> so after college, after I had been in L.A. for two years, my mom called me up. And she asked about an old friend of mine, Adam Eglin, um, who was my high school friend and who was also gay. Um, she asked, she like point blank asked me, she was like, Mano, is Adam more than a friend? And I was like, oh boy, I know what this means. <laughs> so I was like, no, he wasn't more than a friend, but yeah, yeah, I'm gay. Yeah, that's what you're asking, I'm gay. Um, so, but she did an awesome job. She came around quickly. She said some dramatic things that could have won a daytime Emmy. <laughs> um, like she made it about her for a little bit. She was like, oh, my life. Um, but then I told her, I was like, you know, mom, this is, this isn't a big deal. And she came around and now she's almost violently pro-gay. <laughs> like, will just rail on Rush Limbaugh and just hates overly conservative people as a crazy show of support for me. That's such a fun transformation. It's quite the transformation. Um, yeah, so my mom's awesome. She's just, uh, she's just, like I said, she's all, 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 like, all one way or all the other. And it's fun to think of how differently she would speak to, like, your children if you ever had any. I know. That she spoke to you. I know. She just doesn't know. <laughs> like, she's just... And she would... I think she, would, she wouldn't feel offended to hear this of, like, she's a sheltered Greek lady. <laughs> she, and um, she's just, you know, being exposed to a lot of um, new stuff, you know? Uh, but she, she's smart, so, like, she does a good job of accepting it once you tell her. <laughs> um. Which did you come to really love first, comedy or theater? Ooh, I think comedy. Um, comedy first, because that was like, that was, I think there was definitely like, I needed comedy as an escape at a young age. Cause like I was pretty traditionally bullied and you know, I was sort of, um, I was definitely an indoor kid. So like not playing a lot of sports and stuff? Oh no, God no. My dad tried to get me involved in so many sports and I, I failed at all of them. Um, and just, I was so bad. I had to like beg him to let me stop doing it. But he was trying to help me stop being fat, which was a great endeavor on his part. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it until I was ready. But um, what were how, we saying? How, how fat are we talking? 
at my biggest in high school, I was like 315. So pretty big. And how much do you weigh now? Uh, that's a rude question. No, I, I only I ask mind. it because you look thin and yeah. like you're in really good shape. I weigh like 175. So congratulations. That's Thanks. amazing. Thanks. Um, Reddit would love that if you had pictures. Reddit? Yeah. I gotta Reddit that? <laughs> if you had pictures of your progression, it, you'd get all the karma. All the karma. I, I just have, I don't know if I, I, I could find them, but they're over quite a period of time. What were we saying before this? Um, so you didn't play a lot of sports. You were an indoor kid. Comedy. And yes. Yeah, I definitely loved comedy. I was obsessed with SNL. I was obsessed with Janine Garofalo because I thought she was so smart. Like her stand-up? Yeah. I thought she was so smart and like so alienated from culture, you know? So I like, I definitely uh, identified with her in that way. Um, I just loved funny stuff. I mean, I was just like, I watched Comedy Central obsessively. Um, yeah, all of that stuff, I was, I just exposed myself to at a young age. And, and it made like, you really happy. Made me really happy. And then in high school, like, I, f- I kind of snuck into theater because I took this class called Media Performance, which was basically, like, theater for dummies. <laughs> and, um, we, I don't know, that, that was my first exposure to, like, being on stage and, like, whoa, like, people are laughing when I'm doing stuff on stage. And, like, we were completely unoriginal. So we would, like, we did, like, these, like, we did sketch shows, but, like, they were just taking an SNL sketch and reenacting it. <laughs> so, like, I don't know why we were doing that or why we were, we were allowed to do that, but um, that's, like, what we would do. We would just, like, reenact sketches, and that was my first time of, like, oh, okay, I'll do theater. Um, but had I known I could, like, maybe more, more, I could just pursue comedy, I would have done that. But I assumed, like, well, you have to do theater to get into comedy. Yeah, that's what I would assume. Yeah. I think it's cool to picture you doing something so close to what you're doing right now as a high schooler. Like, yeah. you're just basically doing sketch comedy just in that weird way. Yeah. It's so weird because I knew I was into sketch comedy. And two, it's weird to think about, like, because I was obsessed with Comedy Central, in high school, I watched Upright Citizens Brigade, of course. Yeah. On TV. And I loved how weird it was. And I did that. Like, I took a, a UCB sketch. I just, like, would listen and, like, transcribe it. And, like, I did it in high school, like, as a stage sketch. And it was like, what? Well, like, it's it's trippy to think how, like... And that's how I first heard about UCB. And then I was like, oh, that is cool. And then only once I started doing improv in college was I like, oh, they have theater. They have, like, a theater. And, like, it's a good theater. Because I remember even in college going to DCM um, and being like, whoa, this is, this is it. This, okay. If I do improv, this is where I want to do it. Um, what was your application process like for college? Did you apply to a lot of them? Yeah, I started at um, UNC Greensboro. That's so where I you took, went to college for your first year? Yeah, first two years. And what did you think? Oh, first two years. What mm-hmm. did you think of UNC Greensboro? It was cool. Um, it wasn't good for me because I was, I, I had a lot of growing up to do and I had a lot of living to do because in Greensboro, I was going to college, but I was also still working for my dad and I was still partially staying at home with my family and, um, they were, it was very comfortable, quite frankly, it was it was comfortable. Like, it was awesome having that support system there. However, I wasn't out of the closet yet, and I wasn't letting myself be out of the closet because I was terrified of my family finding out. So I was like, I need to move away. I need to move away so I can figure out this true part of myself and, like, let myself have a life, you know? Um, so I knew I had to move away, and that was one of the main motivators <laughs> For me going to Chapel Hill. Did you like Chapel Hill when oh you got God. there? Oh my God. Almost like instantly. I knew this was like, it was like something special. I think just like, it was just my first like real college experience. Like I was away from home and I was in a community of young, weird, creative people. And of course at the time I didn't know it, but um, you know, everyone in college is just so 
so obsessed with trying to figure out who they are. Yeah. Um, at the time, you're actually a little self-involved, honestly. Um, but I, I miss that energy because that's like, it's such a fun, it's such a fun, creative, non-judgmental time in your life. Um, and you I grow think, so fast. Yeah. I think that's important to have that time in your life where you're a little too confident about yourself. You're like, oh, I'm amazing. <laughs> I go to school. I, I do plays. I hang out with friends and get drunk, you know, like. I think that's an important uh, time in your adult formative years. Do you have any especially pristine, like, Chapel Hill memories, like, a, of a specific night or, like, time when everything felt great? Um, I have probably some of the best memories of college are with, um, when I think about my Indian friends from college. Because um, I think that was the first time I had met people who had, like, a similar ethnic American uh, background um, in a school setting. Like, I grew up around Greek and Arabic kids, but then in college, being around Indian American kids, that was the first time I was around other people who had, like, been through the same thing I had been through. They had overbearing families who loved and cared about them, and they understood the emphasis of family that is a part of those cultures, and I really clicked with them. So we had a lot of messy, drunken nights that I remember so positively. And I think, too, because uh, they all (laughs) lived on South Campus, and I think, to this day, one of my favorite things is getting drunk on Franklin on like a cold chilly night and walking walking all the way to South Campus like stumbling and doing stupid bits and jokes on your way back to a dorm room where you kind of get to you know hang out and chill and bullshit before you pass out it's amazing <laughs> it's the best right yeah and then you did uh, Voidchick, and it taught you that you didn't want to do uh, drama as much as comedy. Yeah, I um, yeah, I just I think there's definitely, and this isn't a negative thing, but there's just there's definitely a quality about me that isn't quite as good at conveying drama because <laughs> I I think and that does doesn't want to as much either because yeah. like would you, if you could do drama really well. Would you be wanting to equally pursue that? That's interesting. I mean, I would... uh, I definitely want... I definitely would like to be a better actor. And, you know, there's nothing... There's nothing to say I can't be. But it's maybe not something I'm, like, just genuinely endowed with. Um, So that's something I think I would like to have. That's That's a toolkit I would love to, like, have access to more so. But I think we all know, like... You know, as you grow up, you get a better idea of what 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 tools you naturally have, um, and so that's something I think would be cool. Um, but it's it's just not something that I'm like, oh, I'm super comfortable using this. I'm thinking uh, that it's really cool that I feel like you're a really cool example of how much the right kind of work and passion can like make you uh become great at something because i remember uh there being like uh like we were in the same uh college improv group Mm -hmm. and i remember there being like a chips audition that you didn't get into the training program Mm -hmm. of chips Mm -hmm. and like just that like that that could ever happen but then for you to keep on working so hard and get to the point where like you eventually make it onto a UCB Herald team and like now a UCB house team and like would like uh, if you were doing an improv show with somebody in like current day chips, you would look like Michael Jordan and look <laughs> like uh, an ant. That's very kind of you. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I totally know what you mean. I've definitely had those moments 
in, in a weird way with improv, I don't know why, but it's oh, there's always been that thing. I'm sure you can relate where it's just like, I don't know how to stop. You know, I think like a lot of people who like improv have that gut reaction of, I don't know how to stop doing it. Um, so I think I just kind of got better by default. Um, so in that way, it's been a real gradual road and like, I don't know if I've even fully realized how far I've come. And I feel like we all have that, you know? I think that that's a, that's ho- that's a cool thing I hope comes with experience and time is you don't worry about where you are, you just are where you are. Um, yeah, but there's definitely also a very, um, there's a part of me that's really, yeah, there's definitely a part of me that's made an active choice to ignore my self-sabotaging demons. And I think everyone... amazing. Yeah, I think everyone should. And I haven't even fully conquered. They're still, they're still in there. Um, my, my spiritual guide is RuPaul. (laughs) And, um, because I've briefly heard RuPaul talk about this sort of thing. And, (laughs) and basically I I love RuPaul. But what, what I'm trying to say is, I think we all have insecurities. I don't know if they ever go away. I think the older you get and the bolder you get, the better you get at ignoring them. Um, And the better you get at listening to the good voices. (laughs) Um, And that's something I just, I try to do. And I, I, there are shit, there are still days where I have not, I still haven't figured it out. But then there's days where I'm like, you're good enough. (laughs) I love that you do that. Um, as a UNC Chapel Hill student, what were you thinking you were going to do with the rest of your life after college? Was comedy the thing that you thought you could really do professionally? Yeah, you know, I came out, it's funny, because I I came out almost immediately with an internship, um, with the, the UNC internship, um, which is sort of hosted by Paul Edwards, um, and then I interned. Was, was it always, uh, did you always know it was going to be Hollywood next or did you ever think about moving to New York or Chicago? No, that first summer after college, I did not know what I was going to do. There was a part of me that was like, I'll, maybe I'll just stay in Chapel Hill. I love it here. Um, but there was definitely my fears of becoming a townie. Um, and there was also a part of me that was like, New York is great because I will be so much closer to my family. And that would be great to still do comedy and be close to my family. And my sister lived there. So she was like, you can like crash at my place. And that was very appealing. But I heard about an internship that went to LA, um, that set you up with an internship in, in the Hollywood, in the entertainment arts. And I applied and I got it and during those first couple weeks where I was out here doing that internship, I was like, it's either, I'm either going to stay or I'm going to go back and never come back. So I made the bold choice to like stay and it worked out. Um, but I remember it was hard because just being that far away from my family, I knew my family was going to hate it. Um, in fact, when I called my mom to tell her I was staying, the first thing she said to me was, oh, you're staying in LA? Huh. Well, I hope you can make it back in time for my funeral, but if you don't, don't bother. And I immediately was like, mom. (laughs) Mom. Um, So my mom was having a Susan Lucci moment and she came around. She came around in a few hours. I'm glad. Oh, a few hours. It took her a few hours. Maybe <laughs> to even stop a talking day about her funeral. To do- stop talking about her funeral and how I had completely dishonored her and how she never wants to see me again. Um, but eventually, she came around. Um, yeah, and at the time, I just knew I had to s- stay and try, even though it sucks and it's hard. Those first couple months when you're in LA and you don't know what you're doing here and you don't know if you belong here and you feel like the most delusional person in the whole world, they suck. But um, I think once you get past the six month mark, you're, you'll, you're, you're good. Your internship was at Nash Entertainment with Joe Mactasy? <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yes, it was with True TV. Good memory, huh? You have a great memory. Um, it was good, and um, I didn't have a good time, but I was also a very bad intern. I was a terrible employee. Um, I would just, because I remember I was immediately trying to get in class at UCB, so much so that I signed up for a class that conflicted with my internship hours. <laughs> And I told my boss, I was like, oh, I really want to take this class. Um, so is there a way that I can not come in on Tuesday and Thursday? Or something like that. Which is amazing. Which is insane. But at the time, I didn't know. I, I mean, at the time, I think I didn't know or I didn't care. I don't know. Um, How unprofessional that is. Yeah. <laughs> Wildly unprofessional. Um, so uh, I did it. They were like, okay. They were pissed off at me and they didn't like me. But um, I... But you win. I won, I think. Um, now that... You're, you're not president of True TV like no, you would have been if you but, had gone the other direction. No, but now that place where I went to go take a class, it sort of employs me? Yeah. It's kind of ironic. It is ironic. Um, is it irony? Um, but I, uh, now in retrospect, it's cool because I love UCB so much. Um, so it's cool that, uh, choosing that eventually won out. <laughs> Anyone who, uh, you're still friends with today, who is in your original 101 through 401 classes? Yeah. Yeah. There is, there are someone, yeah, of course. There are people who I, who are on teams right now who are in my original 101 through 401 classes. Um, um, like Marissa Strickland was in my 301, Aaron Whitehead was in my 301, Mary Holland was in my 401, um, I took a 401 with Johnny Schwarzbein, um, and I feel like there's even more people I'm forgetting, um, but I was surrounded by a lot of, yeah, people who are still in it today, and I don't know if that's luck or, or just, um... Luck or just, like, we, we, we came up at a time where people had this, like, almost uh, this very persevering attitude of, like, we're going to do it. We're going to get on that stage. Uh, and when I moved out a year after you did, I know you were already really close friends with Betsy, Sidaro. When did you guys become friends? We became friends on a Monday night at Birds after Harold Night. And I think I just bumped into, I swear I just bumped into her. Um, and I, I had seen Betsy at a show, and she's so hilarious. But she wasn't on a team yet. No. But I had seen her at an indie show, and I was like, you're, you're, you're great. I really like that show you did this week at, like, Crash Bar or something. And she was like, thanks. Um, and then we sort of, we both had been um, laid off from, like, production jobs, which was a funny coincidence. So we just started kind of, like, commiserating. Where have you been laid off from? I've been laid off from a production house. <laughs> I don't know if I want to say because they didn't like me. <laughs> so just a production house. Yes, yes, uh, yes, and yes. And for yes. what? What did you do something wrong there, or? I don't think I did anything wrong, but I'll never. <laughs> you officially kept on know. requesting to keep on taking <laughs> during work hours. I don't think I did anything wrong, but I think I mean I have to admit that I think like my passion wasn't there. Then again, I don't know how you stay passionate as a PA because it's usually an unrewarding job. Um, but we had both been laid off from jobs and kind of felt, you know, we just, we just definitely shared that experience of like that hopeless feeling you feel when specifically you're laid off and not even fired. They're just like, we ran out of money, go away. Um, which is a very helpless feeling. Um, we got drunk and then from there became, yeah, became great friends. Um, and any, uh, coaches that were especially influential to you? Yeah, there's a lot, but, um, probably my main, my biggest influences that come to mind are Susie Barrett, um, and Drew Defonso Marks. And their boot camp? Yeah, um, I definitely, um took boot camp at the time when Susie Barrett was here as well as Jim Woods before he moved to Amsterdam. But um, Susie Barrett and Drew fundamentally took the extra step to sort of give me those personal notes that make a difference. You know, those, those notes that can be hard to give, but those notes that kind of get below the surface of like, why are you being so polite in scenes? 
are you too polite in life? And you're like, whoa, <laughs> like I'm learning things about myself. Um, so they were instrumental in just cutting, cutting to my core in a good way. Any other notes come to mind as life-changing notes? Yeah, oh God, let me think. Oh, another good note I think I got from both Drew and Susie, which seems so dumb, is don't smile through your scenes, um, which should be self-explanatory. But I think that pivotal note um, got me to become a better actor in my scenes, to become more engaged in my scenes, um, to really start treating my scenes like more than just a fuck around. And did you make it onto Harold the first time you auditioned? No, 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 no. Um, I I got on a Harold team my fourth audition round. Wowzies. Yeah, and honestly, before that, I hadn't gotten a callback. So I got a callback and on a team both in my fourth year. And uh, congrats on the persistence. Thanks. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, I, I definitely understand and I'm, I'm, I'm in good company with a lot of talented folks on Harold Knight. Um, but, uh, persistence wins out. And I definitely know what the feeling is like when you're like, ah, what's the difference between persistence and cluelessness? Um, and there's definitely those moments where you have an insecure thought and you're like, am I clueless? Or am I just someone who didn't give it my, didn't give it my all? Um, so obviously I would definitely encourage people to just like, keep doing it. Um, keep doing it. Um, cause like, just cause you don't get on your first or second or third time doesn't mean you'll never get on. And I think that's just true with anything in life, obviously. Um, especially if you like doing entertainment and comedy we all have to get unfortunately used to rejection. What has your improv evolution been like since getting on a team? That's a good question. Um, I think, I guess my improv evolution has, has taken a few different stages. Um, it's cool because once you get on a team, you finally stop worrying if you're good enough. So I think sometimes just thinking you're good enough finally allows you to be good enough. So that was instrumental in me just finally being cool with myself. Um, being cool with myself instead of second doubting myself. But I will say the longer you're a performer, and this could just be a thing that's true of all performers, you tend to get more critical of yourself and you're usually your own worst critic because you want to be better. Um, I think it's good to be better, um, but it, it can be challenging sometimes to like want to be better, but not sabotage yourself. Um, so, and I think for me, I'm, it, very, it ebbs and flows. There are months where I'm just like, I'm good. I feel good. I'm smart. Um, and then there are months where I'm like, what? <laughs> who are you? Like, who are you? And why are you, why are you doing this? Um, like I said, maybe a little bit earlier, I just try to ignore the negativity and keep following my gut. As a coach, are there any things that you feel like really strongly that you want to impart to the people you're coaching? Yeah. Um, I am really huge. I really love watching emotional connection and commitment in scenes. Um, I'm guilty of it too, as a performer, because sometimes Sometimes you'll forego an emotional connection for something funny. And that's very tempting. It's super duper tempting. But um, anytime I've been more emotionally connected in a scene, I've had more fun. And anytime I've seen someone emotionally disconnected in a scene, I do not have fun. So for me, connection is huge. Connection with the player, with the scene, with the subject matter. Um, that's something I really love to watch. I like it too. Yeah. So outside of improv, what are your dreams out here in California? Mm-hmm. That's huge. My dreams in California, there are so many things I want to do. Um, I would say the things I most want to do right now are I love hosting. 
I love talking to people. I want to do something with comedy where I can talk to people. Um, like I, you wouldn't mind being a late night host? Yeah, I wouldn't mind being a late night host. Is that the kind of thing you're saying? Or a host of a different kind of thing? If there was some sort of comedic version of Oprah, that's what I would love to do. Like that's almost really like cool. the comedy therapist. That's what I would love to do. Just like I have no qualifications for therapy. I think you should start hosting that show. Yeah. Have I you would talked do about it. it with other people? I've thought about it in my brain for sure. Of like comedy therapist is fun. Um, or if there was just a way to like yeah, like have like like keeping it a keeping it real show. Cause I think I'm definitely capable of that. I'm I'm fairly emotionally available as a person. So uh, that's something I would love to do with funny people. Um, but, uh, besides that, I love writing and I love cartoons. So, um, if, uh, if I, if I can manage to do it, I would love to create a number of amazing comedic cartoons or shows. I would also like to be a staff writer. I mean, there's all these things I want to do. Um, and probably they start with me writing more. (laughs) I should probably do that. Um, you know, what challenges do you find when you try to write? Yeah, I find, um, probably my self judgment is really, is really something that keeps me from just creating more in terms of writing. Um, I think I'm, I want things to be so perfect that sometimes I never get anything down. Um... Those right now are the biggest ones to me. On top of that, I'm kind of a lazy person. Um, That's something I'm working on. I don't want to be lazy, but there is a part of me that is super lazy. Like, I don't know what it is, but there is just a part of me that's just like, I love hanging out. I love hanging out. So... What, What are your current demons that, like, the voices that you have to say no to? Mm hmm God, one of my current demons is probably just, like, checking BuzzFeed. That sounds so stupid. Hopefully saying it out loud will help me conquer it and just fucking close my internet browser. Um, But um, that is one of my biggest demons. I am probably ADHD and have never bothered to be diagnosed. Um, But I definitely have some problems focusing and creating things of a considerable length. That's probably another reason why I love writing sketches so much because, like, they're so quick and the gratification is so almost instantaneous. Um, So right now I definitely am, like, um, determined to figure out writing a bigger piece. Um, And what do you feel like have been your biggest outside of improv LA victories so far? Oh, wow. It was really cool to see you uh, as a voice on uh, Justin and Dan's show, Friendship All-Stars of Friendship. Yeah. Just because, like, you did such a great job at that. Oh, and thanks. As, Shig- what's his name, Miyamoto? Uh, Sh- Shigeru Miyamoto. Yeah, that's I hope, I, I hope I didn't say it in an offensive way. No, you <laughs> didn't. Um, there's been a few cool LA victories. I mean... One of my LA victories is kind of being involved with the UCB and um, getting the opportunity to be the diversity coordinator at UCB's training center in LA. Um, I have loved being a part of that process and getting different cool people involved in the UCB theater. Yeah, that's such a cool thing to be doing. I'm really excited about that because... Yeah, unfortunately, comedy and especially improv sketch is so traditionally dominated by one kind of person. Um, And I think that more people would be into it. They're just like not cognizant that they can do it. It's sort of like it's a sport that you've only seen played by one kind of person. So people don't don't really take the time to think like, oh, maybe that's a sport I could play. Um, so with, with that, 
we're hopefully changing changing people's ideas of what of what kind of what kind of person does comedy. Um, and how did Grinder Diaries come about? Well, what what tell what is Grinder Diaries and how did it come about? Yeah, Grinder Diary is my true unedited interactions with the men of Grinder. So. I pretty much stay, take screenshots of the conversations I have on Grinder with various gay men uh, in L.A., um, as well as all over the country when I get the chance to travel. Um, and Grinder Diary started because I... Someone had to say something. <laughs> like, um, I knew... What Grinder was becoming something was we kind of becoming a monster, because it and it it has Grinder has ushered in a new kind of social interaction, um, and a new gay subculture of interaction. Um, no longer do gay men need to go to bathhouses or seedy clubs to interact with un, with one another. Now they can do it on their phones, in the privacy of their homes. And because it's on the internet, people feel the right to say whatever they want to say. Um, so for that reason, I just felt this need to document the way men were talking to me and the way men were exposing themselves and the way men were like um, objectifying themselves. Um, it's now its own subculture that either consciously or subconsciously, gay men have agreed is okay. And I don't think it's okay. I don't think it's okay at all, but I don't have the answer or the solution. I just kind of want to poke fun at it so that we're, if nothing else, we're just aware of how crazy or unique this new sort of social interaction is like. Is your biggest hope just to like start a conversation? Oh, honey, I'm trying to get a book deal. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I mean, Urban Outfitters, who, 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 who publishes all their shitty like Christmas gift books? Um, I want one of those. Um, no, no, I mean start a conversation. Um, I do, I do want to start a conversation. And on top of that, I just, I just want to, I just want to have fun. I just, I just, I, I will admit it's, it's a mixture of two things. Like, I like, I like calling out what's happening socially, but I also like creating some form of comedy. And it's a fun, quick way. To just kind of read something funny. And I like that. It's, it's definitely like a fun creative outlet for me. Just to be like, look, I thought this was funny today. I thought, you know, and um, it's definitely just a fun way to like put something out there. Can you spell the website address? Sure. Um, just on Instagram, you can look up Grinder Diary. G-R-I-N-D-R-D-I-A-R-Y. Um, or you can find it on Tumblr, um, which is, uh, just grinderdiary.tumblr.com. Very easy. Very easy. Um, what's your dream for where you are in five years from now? Yeah. In a dream world, in five years, I would be, like, creator and executive producer of my own Cartoon Network cartoon, either on Cartoon Network or Adult Swim. What a cool idea. Yeah. Um, I love the creative projects that are being supported on, you know, both of those networks, if you will, or collectively on the Cartoon Network. And I love the possibility of weird worlds and universes you can explore in a cartoon. Any slight hope of whether it's Cartoon Network or Adult Swim and like what kind of age you're 
I have to admit, I think Cartoon Network would be my dream because I would love to write the next Rocco's Modern Life. That show really influenced me, and I think shows... I mean, there are a ton of shows like that, like just like Adventure Time is now, that is able to speak to children as well as entertain adults. Um, that would be a dream, to have a show that like that many people find engaging. And uh, do you have a hope of like a message that show would have for kids, if anything, or just like a lot of different stuff? Honestly, my gut right now says like be weird. Like I would, li- <laughs> I just want to encourage kids to be weird. And I, I think you know, the more time passes, the more kids have been encouraged to be weird and told that they're allowed to be weird. Yeah. When I was growing up, I definitely felt, uh, I, I, I definitely felt like I should behave one way. I mean, that's the message you get when Rocker's Modern Life is canceled. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I was like, fuck you, man. Uh, I just, yeah, I want to create more weird TV. I don't know if I need to say anything. I just want to create weird stuff that people find intriguing. I think that's so cool. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for coming on this. Ben, thank you. You know, I think you're so cool. I Uh, think you're so cool. You've been cool since college. When? interview with Mono Agapian. If you want to see Mono perform live, you can see him with his team Winslow every other Tuesday at 10.30 at UCB Theater Sunset. Um, and again, Grinder Diary can be found at grinderdiary.tumblr.com. Also, another reminder that On the Cusp can now be found on iTunes and on the Stitcher app. And I really hope you'll subscribe if you like the show. And also, also, if you have time to rate or review us on iTunes, I would really appreciate it. Special thanks to Casey Trela and Hi-Ho Silvero for all the music in this episode, to my producer, C.C. Pierce, and to my sound editor, Joe Burge. This has been On the Cusp! That's your outro music. <laughs>